You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 157 called... Yo, Nick, uh, we uh, changed our name. We're not got teched anymore oh man you're right what was i thinking that's just like 156 episodes of practice yeah i mean it's time to get on board with the new name uh the edtech throwdown so you want to give it another shot all right let me uh let me reset here everybody and try again Welcome to the EdTech Throwdown. Join us, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson, as we dive into today's best EdTech tools, tips, and practices. We do the research so you can teach your class. Remember to follow us on social media like Instagram, X, or Facebook by looking for the handle at EdTech Throwdown. Now please enjoy the show. Welcome to the EdTech Throwdown. This is episode 157 called Activities That Spark Student Engagement in Your Classroom. In this episode, we'll talk about five different teaching practices that can help keep students excited, motivated, and last but not least, learning. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. All right, so we're back for episode 157. Some might have called this episode one, but we got the same two hosts, the same great content. We're just changing it up a little bit just so we've gone so many years with 17,000 different brands. You know, Got Teched was one. We had Treefish is another. Uh, we had all these different ideas and stuff. So we just decided we wanted to consolidate them into something that really describes us. And and really, in each episode, we're bringing you EdTech's tools, tips, and tricks. And we kind of do it in a competitive way with each other. And we take this podcast into our conferences, and we perform EdTech Throwdowns, which is something that we have a lot of fun doing. So we just wanted to make a name for one name for everything that we do. Yeah, it's like our most uh, well-received PD that we uh, typically would present on to people, get a lot of great feedback. So really, we just kind of figured, why not make that the whole show? If you're a former listener from what will now be the old days when we were got teched, you probably won't even really notice anything different. I mean, we are changing the music. You've heard a little bit of that already, rebranding some of the logos and colors, new website, which we'll get into more a little bit later, but it's largely the same thing, just kind of spiced up and then and then tied in with the stuff that we do in person and uh, hopefully a little bit more targeted. It's also a bit of a fresh start for us, I think, which is, which is cool too, because actually kind of ties in with today's episode, right? Keeping things fresh and keeping the energy high. We hope to have that accomplish the same thing here, basically. I wasn't really thinking about that, but I see what you did there, and I yeah. agree. And it's it's you know great to be back with a fresh perspective. Yes. All right, so let's go ahead and kind of get into what sparked this episode, and that was a conversation that I had with two teachers in the faculty room. Now, 
I will tell you this, the faculty room has changed since I first started almost 20 years ago now. That used to be the place to be. Now it's just a place to make copies. And, it's a dead zone in there. Yeah, and maybe get the occasional overpriced snack out of the vending machine. <laughs> I I just saw someone pay $2 for a bottle of water, and I, I was just like, why? But anyway, I was having a conversation with two uh, teachers, and based gist of that conversation was that they feel like every year after the holiday or winter break, they they feel like they go strong for about three weeks. Everyone's excited to be back, and then they get into this lull where there's not a whole lot of days off. Right. And everything kind of just gets dull and, and the students seem tired and disconnected with the content and, and all that. And we were kind of just talking about ways that we can spark student interest. So that's where this uh, episode came from. And after talking with these two teachers, there are a couple things that we identified. One, out of their whole curriculum, about three to five weeks after the break, that's the their least favorite part of their own curriculum. So that's tough because you are in that zone where you don't have a lot of days off. You know, we go through January, February, we might get an occasional snow day. Even those have come few far in between. But then we might have a day off for like President's Day. But typically, you know, teachers during some of these holidays have professional development and the students have off. So there's really no break there. So other than reorganizing their curriculum, which they don't really want to do because in English, so they don't need to buy you know, 500 copies of the catcher in the rye. Right. What they do is they stagger their required reads throughout the year. So they only need one or two class sets and the teachers just do them at different times. So it's really hard to get away from whatever organization that they're in. So they don't want to move the content, but they want to refresh it. They want to spark student interests. And that really got me thinking as to what can we do to help them bring something to their classroom and spark student interest. Yeah, it happens to me too, man. I think, I don't know. I wonder if it's like what came first, sort of a chicken or the egg kind of thing, because I feel like my most boring topics also fall at this point in the year. Maybe we just all think it's the most boring topics because of where it falls in the year. It's just kind of a crummy time. Like you said, it's the end of winter. Everybody's looking to be outside. It's just kind of like the toughest part of the year. If you are a high school teacher, teaching high-level AP courses, then this is like really crunch time for those students because you're trying to meet this mark of like the AP exams in May. That's always my situation is like I'm really, really grinding the kids at this point in the year because it's our most challenging concepts. Everything's coming together. Plus, you've got these, you know, sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's just, the weather's just just gray and we're all trying to make it through. So it's a it's an important topic and it, it's definitely something that that comes up for, you know, for people throughout this time of year. And, you know, it's it's got to be more than just do a project. You know what I'm saying? Because that you could always throw that in there. But just a project doesn't necessarily capture engagement because projects can also be boring if if not done well. Yeah. So basically, how can we put these game elements in there? 
So game elements are parts of video games that get kids interested or get the person playing the game interested. So it might be competition, it might be points, it might be leadership rewards, it might be badges, whatever it may be. But we need to get these kids immersed in content and game elements, incorporate those in. So that's a lot what we're going to talk about today are the game elements or ways that we can provide interesting twists to our activities so the students are interested and they're buying into whatever project and the content that you're providing. Yeah, this can, you know, you can do little things too. If you don't want to sort of buy into like some big overhaul or totally changing up or bringing in game elements, if that all sounds like too much work, I get it. Because, you know, as teachers, we are also sort of dealing with this this time of year as just a, as sort of tough to get through. Can even be just small things. Uh, the other day I put on, um, I played like a, a Spotify playlist while the kids were doing a lab just to kind of help keep the energy high. I haven't had to do that all year just because it's, I don't know, I haven't felt the need to, but last week I did it for the first time in a while. That actually helped tremendously. Today with that same class, we're going outside for 10 minutes. We're going to do a little, um, I think I'm going to have them do a chalk drawing and they're going to weigh the chalk before and then after and sort of do some chemical calculations that I won't start boring you guys with, but having to do with that difference in chalk mass, I might also tell them that they have to draw something funny, like make a joke or I don't know, but just it, it can be small tweaks like that, that you can try to think of to, to help keep that energy high. So that's sort of what brought us, I guess, like the main idea for this episode, right? Yeah. And and really, I think it's a great episode to talk about here. I right. mean, this is something that we all need, whether it's now or maybe you're not at this point right now and you teach seniors and you're going to run into the senioritis after the third quarter. Right. It might be a good time then. Yeah, that's another huge aspect for high school teachers is that senioritis. So hopefully what we've got will help with all that. We're going to take a, uh, a brief break here to hear a word from our beloved podcast network. And stay tuned because when we come back, we're going to talk about these five activities to spark student engagement. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. So before we get into the five ways to spark student engagement, just want to let you all know that uh, March 12th is the NJECC conference. We'll be presenting two EdTech throwdowns there. One is on EdTech tools. The other one's on AI EdTech. Nick and I battle it out. Whoever is there will be able to listen to us, vote for whoever presented the best tools, and then uh, you'll leave with a nice little uh, collection of tools that and resources that you could use uh, whenever you see fit during the school year. It might be the next week. It could be a couple weeks down the road or a couple months down the road or maybe even next year. But all the resources will be there for you to look at. Yeah, if you want to know why we changed the name of the podcast to the EdTech Throwdown, head to the NJECC conference and check out our uh, our sessions because you'll find out exactly why we changed the the name of our show and it is to it is to match that exact presentation. So that's a big one. Also in terms of updates, you know, part of the the rebrand of the show and the new name and the new music and all that stuff is a new website that I can proudly say I did essentially nothing on besides look at it, 
as Geis was working diligently. So I think you should be the one to kind of tell people about it. Actually, I think you should try to tell them what is actually in there. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I came up to Nick about three years ago and I, I was like, hey, I don't like our colors in our old logo. <laughs> I don't really like the old cartoon in our old logo. A lot of people don't know what it means. Right. So that was the initial conversation. Nick was kind of like, yeah, I agree. I'm glad you brought this up. And then we just change the logo to a newer cartoon logo which we do like and uh we sat on it for three years so later on last week two weeks ago three weeks ago i don't know maybe a month ago i was like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a new site i'm gonna develop it and i'm gonna create it are you cool with that and he goes yes Yes, I felt like that was the the green light I needed. And yeah. uh, over the next two weeks from, you know, eight o'clock when my kids go to bed until 1030 at night when I pass out on the couch, I was working on developing the new site. So you'll what you'll find on the, the site, which is edtechthrowdown.com, you'll find a homepage which tells us a tells you all a little bit more about us and what we've been involved in different podcast episodes that we've been in you can see a snapshot of what we're all about but some of the main pages we have blogs i already have done three new ones uh, on there which i'll link to the show notes it's five music ed tech tools that your students will love these do not need to be in a music class. I have a lot of fun just creating beats and things like that with my kids at home, but I find myself deeply ingrained into music and different aspects of music. So that's what inspired this blog. There are seven AI ed tech tools that teachers should try in 2024. These are all ed tech AI tools that I use. And I gave you a lot of different usage cases of how I use them. And there's videos to go with each one of those. And then I also put my seven AI prompt making tips for educators. If you follow these seven tips, when you use AI, you'll be able to get a pretty good output because it, it really just tells you step by step what you should include in a prompt. So all those are in the blog. Our YouTube channel is, is uh, on the site as well. There's a redirect link, so it's going to be easier to subscribe and follow along with those videos. And then we also have our podcast, which is now the EdTech Throwdown. And you'll see very little change when it comes to what our podcast looks like other than the name and a brief change in the logo and colors. So that's all there. Go check out the edtechthrowdown.com. All right. So that's it for the updates. Let's get into kind of the main point of this episode, which is how to solve this teacher's problem, right? It got us thinking about ways to bring in student engagement to kind of spark some interest and keep people motivated during this difficult time of the year. But of course, as always, these are things that are going to be excellent any time of year, no matter what you're teaching. And I'll kick us off with the first idea, which is narrative. Uh, Narrative, if you don't know, you know, kind of a general term. Anytime I hear the word narrative, I start thinking story, right? doesn't have to be like a classical story, like you're sitting down to read a book that tells a story, but it also kind of does because that's what narrative is, right? There's a, there's something to, you know, something is happening. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. And in terms of learning, that's just really super engaging, right? If you can bring in any kind of element of a story, very, very helpful. And one of my favorite ways to do this is with 
you know, in the science world, what we call a case study, but you can apply this in any subject area too, where there is just that a, a scenario is how you might think about it. That's really what a case study is, is it presents, presents some type of a situation. And then in dealing with that situation or solving the problem that comes up, students are, are learning, right? And that's essentially how the case study works. There's built-in narrative. So right off the top, super engaging. And uh, you could even bring in other elements like role play. I know a lot of case studies, there's actually like, I don't know if they're still this way, but you can tell, you probably know better than me, man. But like there used to be an actual script, right? Like different parts that kids would read out. I know they don't all have that, but that's a way that a case study can be set up. Yeah, you could set it up like that. So there's some type of narrative activity at the beginning. That's that's the whole point behind it. And based on that narrative activity, it kind of introduces some new concepts. So you want to have a little period of time for questioning after that. Like, what do we need to know? Write down all the questions that you have that you have to figure out what you need to know. So if you were doing something on World War II, uh, so what caused World War II? Maybe that's something you need to know. Based on these causes, what were some of the conflicts that led to that World War II? So yeah, there's a general overview of like the, the causes of it, but what specifically led to the conflict so you want to kind of figure out those strings that are attached there and then based on that you go back and you do some research to answer those questions so they go back as a group answer those questions they collect the data that they they figure out or find and then after they examine the data by identifying like the trends and the connections to the questions and the content uh, they're going to present the case. So I'll give you another quick example. I had students in my biology class assume the role of a game commissioner. Okay. And I let them pick whether they're going to choose deer population, whether they're going to control that and how they were going to do that, stocking the fish in streams. And I gave them another one. I think it was like restoration of parks and i gave them all three of those choices for the most part everyone went with the fish and uh, their job was to examine the three types of streams that were in that particular area that they were in charge of i broke them into six groups within that class and basically we played the apprentice where i was the boss and i was looking to hire one of these six teams to be my newest team like a promotion within the larger team so they all would do research on trout different types of trout uh, their cost and what they liked the different temperatures and things like that and then they had to go look at the temperatures over the past four years at a specific area and so they're getting through this narrative research collect data phase and then at the end, they have to come up and make their presentation about how they would treat the stream for different pHs, how they would remedy pollutions, and what types of trout would they put in the stream and why on a particular budget. So they were able 
we were able to talk about pH in there. We were able to talk about other water properties and pollution and environmental factors and man impact and things like that, all within this one activity. So we covered a lot of topics, but they had a lot of fun doing it. And at the end, I did fire five groups and I hired one. It wasn't because five groups didn't do well. It was because that one group went above and beyond. So uh, they got hired, they got the promotion and everyone else got, you know, status quo. They just kept their job and they kept on going. But, you know, it was it was fun for the students and they asked to do it again. So we, we found other ways to work it in. Just listening to you talk there, I can tell how interesting that would be. And I hope that came across to the listeners too. And, you know, just so you know, writing a, a case can can take a lot of work on your part. The good news is, uh, especially in, you know, the 2024, when we're recording this, there's a ton of case studies out there. Just if you just start Googling case studies in whatever subject area you teach and, and you'll find the resources you're looking for. We're not going to list them out here because there's like so many of these and it it is all subject specific. But, you know, for the science teachers that listen to us, I can just speak to that because, uh, you know, we are science teachers. NSTA has a really great collection of case studies. And, and I think the sort of like the the flagship case study program is out of the University of Buffalo. I don't know why. I'm sure there's a, a, a narrative It's uh, uh, unto itself to explain how that started there, but they have an excellent, excellent collection of case studies uh, that we personally have used quite a bit. They're all great. You can access them at least the last time I checked for free. And even if you don't use one of their case studies, it's at least a place to start, right? To give you an idea, you can take them, modify them, do whatever you want, or just spark some creativity to write your own. Who knows? But that's where I would check out. And, you know, if you're thinking I'm not a science teacher, still go to this University of Buffalo page because they have, you know, they have ones that apply to, you know, your health teachers and math teachers. It's all sort of centered around science, but there's a lot of little branch points there that are going to connect to other subjects as well. You might be surprised what you find there. Yeah. And if you are a science teacher, there are two other sites I wanted to throw out there. One is uh, Data Nuggets because they basically give you live collections of data. So these are data collections that have been made by scientists or people volunteering in science. They're usually pretty good and it gives you data that you can work with. And then HHMI is another one that has a lot of amazing resources, especially if you're looking for environmental cross-curricular ties. There, There's a lot of that stuff there. So go check out that. And let's get into our next one, which is gamification. Gamification is different than game elements. Gamification allows us to bring in certain types of not. So game-based learning is learning through a game. Gamification is learning with those things that interest kids about the game. Okay, so it's a little different. Does that make sense to you, Nick? Yeah, so gamification, that's the one where it's like your Starbucks points, right? Are you accumulate as you buy and every morning I go get a, my coffee at Starbucks, I'm getting points. We're talking about bringing that essentially to your classroom. Do I have those lined up correctly? Yeah, you do. And that's going to bring up this week's EdTech Throwdown. Ooh. 
Welcome to the EdTech Throwdown. This is an in-episode competition featuring an EdTech tool, tip, or practice that can be used to enhance learning and increase engagement. In one corner, we have Geist, the genetically confused mixture of silverback, human, and sloth, a walking identity crisis. And in the other corner, we have Nick, the pint-sized powerhouse ready to punch above his weight and give Geist a run for his bananas. It's a showdown between a confused giant and a determined David. Get ready for the ultimate clash of the EdTech Titans. I had a feeling it was going to happen at this point. Um, I don't know why, but I guess it makes sense for our first one to be during the gamification segment. Uh, we wanted to build in some elements of our live EdTech throwdown uh, into these recorded shows. And that's essentially what is happening right now, um, where Geist is going to bring in something, something to share. I'm going to bring in something to share. And the challenge is that we want uh, you guys, our listeners, to to go vote. And we'll talk about where that voting is going to be. Uh, even if you're just voting in your head, that's cool. But if we, it'd be really great if you could go cast an actual vote. Because as always, we would like to keep score on these things over time. And I guess that's it. This is our first one. How does it work? Uh, like, who goes first? How do we decide that? Uh, we're going to do a, a coin flip. Here it goes. Tails never fails. So uh, what, what are you uh, what are you calling here? Uh, I'm gonna go heads on this. There goes the coin comes down. It is a head, so I guess the tails never fails does not make sense for me. Uh, but you'll be able to go first. Um, just so everyone knows, we're going to post uh, this voting uh, poll on Twitter. So it'll be at EdTech Throwdown. Uh, on Twitter X, and we'll also put it on our personal Twitters at Nick Got Teched, at Guys Got Teched. I might even throw it up on at uh, We Got Teched for a little while longer, but we'll, the plan is is to probably uh, consolidate that into the EdTech handle and just kind of start fresh as we start fresh with this podcast. All right, beautiful. So I will go first and share my selection. These are both you know, within the realm of gamification. And my idea is uh, what I call the the Ozarks symbol challenge. If you've ever seen uh, the show, I think it was Netflix, although it's been a while, I can't remember, uh, called The Ozarks. First of all, great show. You know, watch it this weekend if you haven't yet. Very, very good TV show. Um, one of the things that they do with this TV show is at the beginning of each episode, they show uh, there's a black screen uh, with like a white X across the screen. And in each segment of the X, like so the empty spaces, there's a little symbol, like just a very simple little clip art style symbol. And every episode has a, a different one of these little uh, little things. So there might be like season two, episode three might have a little symbol of a flame and a skull and a gun and something else, whatever it is. And all those symbols were meant to correspond to different things from that episode. And it was kind of one of the little fun parts about watching that show is like getting to figure out what the symbols refer to. So my idea is uh, to to do that or something similar to that, but for the different topics or or units that you study, my real idea is, you know, if my students are coming in, coming in tomorrow to begin, say, unit seven, uh, unit seven begins with that, that symbol, uh, this the series of like four kind of mystery symbols inside of an X that I put on the, the screen at the front of the room. 
maybe I tell him what it is. Maybe I don't. Maybe I just show the symbol and kind of let him see it. Maybe I start every class period uh, with that symbol on the board until eventually a, a student will inevitably ask, what is that and why do you keep showing us that? Um, maybe at the end of the unit, I circle back to it and say, uh, you know, give them a 10 minute period where they have to do a little bit of writing and tell me what they think each of those symbols meant and how it relates back to what they've learned. The, the, you know, the learning side of it is it's kind of forcing them to, to think back over the learning process and, uh, you know, why, and, and come up with why is he showing me these different symbols, uh, a way to help them remember the information better, perhaps really what it's doing is bringing in some gamification because however I want to set it up, maybe I assign some points to the students who can actually figure out what these symbols mean. Maybe I put it on, you know, that unit test and they get like a, a little bonus point uh, for each one they can correctly identify. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. And I, and I, I don't know if I want to tell everybody how to do it because I think that could be the fun part is, is you come up what that means for your classroom in, in sort of ways to implement that. I've had other ideas too, like you could maybe print it off on a little piece of paper and hang it up around the room uh, until somebody spots it, leave it sort of mysterious, maybe tell them about it, put it online on your website so it's always there to access. Maybe you get really fancy and build in clues related to it that they can click on and investigate. Uh, that's my idea for gamification. I have not tried this yet because it's one of those things that is just sort of floating around in my head that I do not have time to actually implement, but I think it could be pretty cool. I, I love it. I love that show. I, I know I'm still not done with that show. I don't even know if it's uh, still being made, but I think I got past the first two seasons, uh, but that's something I, I plan on going back to uh, and picking up. I just haven't had a whole lot of time to watch TV lately. So uh, mine... Uh, and I have tried this, uh, but not with my students. I've tried this with my kids, and I'll kind of explain it as I go. I call this uh, spin for points, all right? So they get spins for whatever I want to assign spins for, whether it's good behavior, whether it's uh, getting a good grade, whether it's helping somebody else out. What I'm trying to do is promote good behaviors, and I do not penalize for bad behaviors. I just point out the fact that there was a bad behavior and I try to keep it positive so they're excited to work towards these spins. It has been a an absolute dream, I guess, with the kids because it, they've taken um, this challenge on so well. So what I use is any random name picker. Uh, but for this one, I'm going to keep us all on the same site. I'm going to go to flippity.net. And I am going to pick uh, the random name picker, which looks like a big uh, Wheel of Fortune type wheel. Uh, and instead of putting names there, I put points. So for my uh, sons, there's one kid that I really need to get him moving reading. He's, he's struggling right now. Um, he's trying hard. And I think one of the hardest things for parents is to stop comparing them to other children like their other kids in the family because our oldest one he is like really taken on to reading and he really likes it so it was easy for him 
Um, the middle one's more like me. Uh, we'd rather be active and it's hard for us to sit still and those types of things. So just to get him to sit down and read is, is sometimes a challenge, but he does a very good job of it at nighttime before we go to bed. He likes stories. So we're starting to get him into some early reader books and stuff and trying to work with him reading. So I make that worth three spins. Now, it seems like a lot of spins for something like that, but that's something I really want him to focus on. Uh, so he is now one other time out of the last two weeks has picked up a book in the morning. And I'm like, yes, okay, maybe this is going to start working in that way. But we give him a point for the oldest one for unloading the dishwasher. He's not allowed to touch the glass or knives, but all the kids stuff he unloads every morning. He's even started making the other two lunches. All right, if you're if you're a parent that has kids and you know how busy it is in the morning before the bus, bless my wife, um, because I'm already at school. Uh, she gets the kids on the bus, and part of that is making sure that they have a nice nice meal there. So. The older one took that, so we give him two spins for that. The youngest one, who's four, uh, his job is to clean up the counter. So anywhere where there's yogurt or something like that there, his job is to go do that. And he earns spins there. I have him earn spins for practicing the things that they're a part of, whether it's sports or a musical instrument. They get spins for that, uh, positive behavior, so on and so forth. So... A lot of positive behavior coming from this. And uh, based on that, they get spins. And then I go over to Flippity. I enter points in f instead of names. And then they get points. And what's cool is, is you could assign this a ridiculous number of points and it doesn't really matter. Right. Because you also decide, you know, what their reward is. So for me, what I do is I, I usually give everything somewhere between five and 25 points. And then there's a couple of bonus ones in there where they can earn, you know, ice cream sandwich or, you know, have a friend over or something like that. So they get those little prizes in there. I have this bin full of tchotchkes that they love getting that. So I make that a prize as well. But after they uh, get all their points, uh, we keep track of it live on Flippity's live leaderboard. And uh, so I have all three of the kids. And one week uh, we make it like a group point thing. And then the next week we make it individual. And then they get to cash in their, their points whenever they want. And there's a prize list, which they came up with. Some of it is like being able to play on the iPad. Because we only allow them... Uh, 30 minutes during school, uh, during the school week, but it has to be educational games. And then we allow them an hour on weekends. It could be whatever they want. Uh, they like YouTube. We don't like them watching YouTube. So that's a prize. That's a reward for this. Uh, you know, having a friend over, getting a toy or something under $5. And some of these are like 10,000 points. <laughs> You know, the stuff that we don't want them to have, we typically make more, worth more points. Um, so it does work. It, it works great for younger kids. I imagine it would work at a high school level as well. I would probably make it a little bit more complex of a game rather than just earning points and having a leaderboard. Uh, I would probably tie something else in, but 
That is spins for points. Uh, next was the Ozarks simple challenge. Uh, mine's tailored towards behavior and rewarding positive behaviors. Next is uh, connected back into the content. So this is a this is a tough one for sure because uh, they both have merit. But if you're looking for one based on content ties, uh, direct content ties, I think uh, Nix is is the one. If you're looking for one to increase positive behaviors and maybe increase engagement in the classroom, uh, that would probably be mine. All right, but head, o- head over and vote and let us know who you think had the better selection. And I believe that wraps it up for... Uh, our first uh, in-show at Tech Throwdown. Very exciting. We do have three more, uh, three more ideas here for everybody too, as far as how to keep engagement up in your classroom. This next one, you know, we could probably explain it pretty quickly. It's uh, it's called the the one class video challenge, and it is exactly what it sounds like. One class period. And that's all they get devoted to creating a video. If that sounds impossible, just realize that the video will likely be quite short. And we're not talking about like even a probably a five minute video might be too long for this. But here's how it would work. You give them 12 minutes to plan things out. Just imagine some sort of reasonable time limit for what can be planned in 12 minutes. This could be no longer than, say, a minute, right? Short is okay. Short is actually probably better. But 12 minutes to plan, 12 minutes to record, 12 minutes to edit. And then the final 12 minutes of class to view. You can, of course, scale those segments up or down to fit whatever your class period is. But that's how it can work, man. You know, if, if that still sounds impossible, you just need to realize that there's so many very simple editing software that's available. We talk about WeVideo all the time is one that we're lucky enough to have access to. If you don't have access to any of those, you could leave out the editing piece altogether and just say, you know, there's the planning, the recording, and the watching segments and kind of work it out from there. But these editing websites are so simple. So many of the students just know how to do it from, you know, using social media and, you know, a lot of the iPhone and Apple users are aware of how to use iMovie to do stuff. You can get the kids helping each other. I was doing something like this last week and I spent a big chunk of time helping one student who had never edited anything before. Well, then anybody else that came to me, I would send them to that student uh, to kind of answer questions, which freed me up to help others. And you kind of have this snowball effect of students helping each other. So everybody gets the help they need really fast. And there's not a big line like waiting at you, the teacher. But this is super fast paced. It's action packed. There's a lot of pressure, uh, which keeps the engagement crazy high. And it's fun. You know, worst case scenario, you don't finish in one class period. So you give them, I don't know, 10 minutes or 30 minutes of the next day to to wrap it up and then you watch it. And and how bad would that really be? I love this idea. I've done it a couple times and I need to do more of it because it's just such an easy way to bring engagement back to the classroom. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of practical uses for this. If you're in math, you could just assign each group a different math problem and their video is them solving that problem. It could be a screencast or they could write on a whiteboard. It doesn't matter. You could give them a topic such as uh if if uh i was in science and they i wanted one group to explain what a chloroplast is 
and then another group explain what photosynthesis equation is. Uh, and you just give them little topics like that and say that they have to come up with a one minute video demonstrating that they'll get creative. They know their, their phones well enough that they could record a one minute video. And if there's little mess ups, it doesn't matter, right? It does not matter. Uh, but they'll get creative and every once in a while you could throw in a little challenge in there where in the background there has to be a joke written on the whiteboard that is connected to the content, something like that. And, you know, this uh, original idea was uh, brought to us on on the episode with Stephanie Howe, and I know that she got it from somebody else, and I forget who she mentioned there, but... I don't want to think that this is our idea or anything like that. Uh, we have made some changes, and that's the beauty of a PLN is being able to take an idea from someone, modify it to fit your needs, and, and that's kind of what we did there. Uh, the next one is called Metaphorically Speaking. This is one of my favorite things to do because not only do we work with content, we also get to understand a little bit about what makes our students tick. I like to do this at the beginning of the year. So basically what we do here is we take the content. So if I was teaching parts of the cell or if I was teaching, uh, you know, military strategies, all right. So you have the hierarchy of your military, you have your general, you have your, you know, your admiral, general, whatever it may be, uh, down to the front line. All right. So compare that to the organization of a cell or compare that to something that you really like. So I had this one kid, I remember he was very much into auto mechanics, but he hated bio. And I was like, Hey, compare the cell to parts of an engine or parts of a car. See if you can make that connection and, and speak in a metaphor. I go, bring the things that you like into our classroom so it makes sense to you. So he did a beautiful job of taking the different parts of a vehicle, and he had a particular year and model and everything that he really, really enjoyed. I know it was Camaro, but I'm not a car guy. I could not tell you the anything else about it. But he actually drew the parts of the car, and he had a cell membrane there, and he put the parts of a car inside of the cell representing each one of the, the organelles. And it was really awesome. It came out really, really well. And I, I think I still have it because I enjoyed it so much. But that's metaphorically speaking. You just tell them to create a metaphor of something that interests them and connect it back to the content. Yeah, and this is a great way to have like really complex things uh, kind of stick or, or make sense to a kid. I use it in chemistry to have kids understand what's called chemical equilibrium. It's a really, it's actually not that complicated of an idea, um, but it feels like it when you're learning about it in reference to chemical reactions. But I ask them to think of a real life metaphor for chemical equilibrium. And the example I give is a ski slope where there's people going up on a chairlift and there's also people skiing down. Um, just because there's those two sort of opposing directions, it's, a, it's an excellent, perfect analogy to very easily understand what chemical equilibrium is. So I give them that and then I ask them to think of their own and they come up with all kinds of stuff like 
you know, the, uh, the escalators in a mall where there's the two side by side, some people going up, some people going down, and then they have to write about the consequences of that and how that teaches you what equilibrium is. And you get all kinds of, of crazy things. Uh, the coolest part is they remember it like to the end of the year, they remember what their idea was and in so they remember what chemical equilibrium is, which, you know, if that isn't the point of, of teaching, I don't know what is. So that's also probably my favorite one here, which brings us to our last one here, which is called a uh, presentation of learning POL for short. Uh, the best way to do this is to just kind of make it a regular part of your class. So the students know what it is. They can walk in and you, and if you just say, okay, guys, today we're going to do a POL, they know what's coming. Um, I got this from one of my favorite, uh, not really conferences, but just, I don't know, some sort of a program I went to at a local university here in New Jersey. And that's how the whole day ended. This was a full day workshop. And at the end of the day, each table, so the people you were sitting with had to get up and do a presentation, like full on PowerPoint, information, images, ready to roll. And we essentially spent like all afternoon working on that. You could do a small version of that or a big version of that in your classroom. So if you give kids, you know, here's the small version, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a full 60 minutes, whatever you want, but some time to skim resources that can be videos, articles, books, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like you curate the stuff, they go through it. And then they have a certain amount of minutes to prepare the presentation. I'm thinking just a simple slide deck, right? I want this to be a live presentation. And then the, at the end of class, the whole thing concludes with they get up and, and share, they present. Um, what I like about it and what I remember from when I did this myself in that workshop is just how motivated I was to, to share what I had learned with the rest of the teachers in this room. And you can kind of get some of the same effects with your students. You know, if I sign group A to be researching, I don't know, the effects of uh, the functional group known as alcohols in mammals, right? They get invested in that if only because they know that they're going to have to get up and talk about it in front of the class. So that's what I mean by presentation of learning, sort of this small scale, uh, you know, resource dive and then just get up and talk about it. But it, it can also be super effective. Yeah, I think uh, that's one that I'm, I was least familiar with on the list, but I'm glad that you brought it up. It's a nice way to organize a lesson and it focuses getting on a whole lesson done within one class period, which I think is important. So that, that was a pretty good first episode for the EdTech Throwdown, I, th I think. And uh, uh, just uh, hang right there and, and we'll wrap up this episode right after this. Thanks for listening to the EdTech Throwdown. Do us a couple of favors. Subscribe to our podcast on any major podcast catcher, such as Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and Stitcher. Go over to YouTube, search the EdTech Throwdown, subscribe to the channel. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The show's handle is EdTech Throwdown. You can connect with Geis at at Geis Got Tech, Nick at Nick Got Tech. You can write us an Apple Podcast review. You can tell your friends about www.edtechthrowdown.com. Com. And lastly, go over and check out our friends over at the Teach Better Podcast Network, a network that we are so proudly involved with. Until next time, remember, go try some EdTech because we will do the research so you can teach your class.